0: John chapter twenty. Let me kind of set the scene. And by the way, I'm extremely excited next week because I have a, a good friend and mentor of mine coming in to share with us, to speak, and open up this relationship series. He's a marriage expert, and so you'll meet him next week. But plan on being here, and it, it's gonna be it's gonna be really good. So uh, John chapter twenty. Somebody say he's alive. He is alive. You know, I, I, I was trying to figure out where to go today. Well, not today, but this morning, uh, you know, a week ago to say, you know, God, where are you leading me to share? What, what do you want me to share about? Do you want me to talk about the Great Commission? You know, now you're, now you're sending us. And there's going to be a little bit of that today. But I, I couldn't get past, um, as I was reading the story of after the resurrection, I couldn't get past these few verses in John chapter 20, verse 19. So, so he's, he's alive and he appears to his disciples for the very first time. And it says in verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them. And what did he say? Peace be with you. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were what? They were overjoyed. Somebody say overjoyed. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. That which had been gone was now here. I'll never forget years ago, we had a family dog named Haley. Anybody got dogs at the house? And, you know, I wasn't particularly fond of this dog, to be honest. I, I had another dog that I liked, but she, but she died. And so we got this other dog. And I think my mom might be serving a nursery, so she knows this story very well, that I didn't have, uh, this dog didn't have my favor. Uh, but, I, you know, this dog would just, I mean, it was like a terrier mix. And this dog would, you open the door, and it would bolt as fast as this dog, I mean, as fast as you've seen anything else. And one day a car came by, and she got hit by a car. And she ran off to the behind the the houses that were in front of ours into the woods. We had a big area full of woods and and we searched and we couldn't find the dog. And if if you know anything about animals, sometimes they isolate themselves as they die. And you know that moment, that experience, I'm like tearing up right now and I didn't even care about the dog, but you know, it was was a moment we lost. I'm so horrible. I have a dog that I love, but uh, I just, man, God was working on my spirit at that time in my life. Um, But we were sad. And three days later, this is a true story the dog showed up to the house everybody was overjoyed and everybody was excited uh, I was slightly not but I, you know it was like but that which we had not found was now returned and found go back to those moments where you've lost somebody how do you feel what are you, what are you processing the disciples had lost their, their leader the disciples had lost their savior the one that they gave everything up to follow and he's gone they, they know where his body's buried. They know what, what happened. But they only could see and think in the natural. They only knew what happened because of their finite minds. But how many of you know that God does not always operate in the natural? In fact, God operates in the supernatural. How many know that? He operates in the Supernatural. And he raised his son from the grave supernaturally. And then Jesus appears in a locked room. He did not knock. He didn't have a key. He just appeared in a supernatural way. And what he shares with them next would not just change their lives, but would change how they would operate. So I want to talk about peace today. In fact, I've titled this morning's message for all of our VLC note-takers out there. Operating from a place of peace operating from a place somebody say peace peace let me pray for you father thank you for today thank you for your son but i'm just reminded of what you said in scripture remember me you didn't say that at your birth you didn't say that at your resurrection but you said remember me at my death remember me for what i did for you on that cross and so lord it was that blood applied that saved us and it's that blood applied that now sanctifies us and so father Let this just be a reminder today, if this is all we hear, that you love us. You called us according to your plans and your purposes. And so we are walking how you've called us to walk if we're a believer today. Yeah, we got struggles. Yeah, we've got sin. But but we are grateful that you forgive us of that sin. We're grateful that you've loved us. You've redeemed us given us a purpose you've given us a certainty that when we die today we will be in heaven with you for the rest of our lives for eternity and so lord the scriptures today would you speak to us would you challenge us would you convict us as it always does and as always lord as we leave these these doors and we celebrate and we eat and we have fun god would you change us and make us more like you in jesus name everybody said in one loud voice Amen. Can we give God one more shout of praise in this place? He is good. He is great. And ask the person next to you, are you eating ice cream with me after service? By the way, ice cream free for the kids, but the adults can buy ice cream because uh, kids don't have money. And I have three of them and I know that to be true. (laughs) Although my uh, my oldest is, is collecting money. He's collecting uh, the somehow he finds money. Where's that piece of tape? I don't even. It's not even here today. Um, I'm like, where, where am I pushing this thing? Uh, so he's collecting little coins. and He's got a little piggy bank, and I told him that if he collected, uh, I should have said a thousand dollars, but I think I said a thousand coins. Um, we're gonna take him on a cruise. So he's been collecting coins. And do you know where he's at? Because uh, yeah, we can't afford to bring him to a cruise yet, but. Um, I don't know if a 1,000 coins, especially if it's a 1,000 pennies. I don't know if that'll work, but somebody uh, correct me on that. So John chapter 20, this is going to be our text, and we're going to go a little over the place today uh, because um, I, I just couldn't get past this, this moment here, and there's some things that take place um, in another gospel that we're going to read. But let me, let me set the scene for you. John chapter 20. Jesus has risen from the grave, but nobody knows about it. Nobody knew yet. And... Um, Mary Magdalene shows up because she's going to present some spices to his body and, and, and Mary shows up and, and the, the tomb is gone and it's rolled away. And she's like, well, what happened? And she goes in there and an angel appears and says, he's risen, his body's not here. And, and she, she freaks out. She's like, oh my gosh, I got, I got to tell somebody. And so she runs and tells the other disciples. Now, only two of the disciples come back with Mary and run to the tomb to see if his body really wasn't there because they're like, this is not true. And it's, it's funny because the book of John, he writes his perspective and his story and he tells the readers that he outruns Peter three times. Like he's faster than Peter. You know, he's like, and, and we ran, but I ran faster. And, and then we ran and, and the, the, the one Jesus loved got there first, which also he calls himself the one that Jesus loved, which is just interesting in itself. But so they get there and they, they see also that the body is is not there, and um, they believe that he's not there, but they don't really believe that he's risen, and so what do they do? They just, they go back to the other disciples, and they lock themselves in a room. Mary, on the other hand, stays, and she's weeping, and then another angel appears and starts speaking to Mary, and Mary's like, "Who, who is this person? And she assumes, it's funny, the reader says she assumes that she's talking to the gardener, and that angel actually It was Jesus because Jesus said, Mary, and her eyes were open, and she sees Jesus, and she's like, Rabbi. And then, then Mary runs back to the disciples. There's a lot of running going on right now. Mary runs back to the disciples, and she says, I have seen the Lord. And here's where we get to our text in verse 19 of John chapter 20. On that evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood Among them. Now let's stop here for a moment because news is spreading at this point. If you read John chapter 20, the first verse, it says early on the first day, Mary witnesses all these things. And then it goes on to later in the evening. So so there's a lot that's taken place that we don't necessarily know entirely. We do know some things I'll share, but there's a lot that's taken place. Some people are believing that he he, his body's not there. Some people, maybe like the women, are believing that his body's risen. The disciples aren't really believing him. Thomas is nowhere to be found because he's doubting. But it wasn't just unbelief that was circulating in the minds of the disciples. It was fear. It was fear. Something was happening that day that caused the disciples to meet in a room and to lock the doors. Why were the doors locked? Why, why would you lock the doors if you're a disciple of Jesus and you've been with Jesus, you know what Jesus could do? Why are you locking the doors? Well, notice a text that says because of fear of the Jewish leaders. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 28 with me to break this down a little bit more because this is one of the reasons why I believe that we know for sure that they were in fear was because of the Jewish leaders. Matthew 28, and can I remind you, for those that may not know this, there are four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And They're not just uh, stories that they're telling. There's, There's a narrative, there's a plot, there's characters, all centered around the life of Christ, all centered around the moments of Christ. And so when you read a different gospel, what you're reading is a different perspective of what they witnessed or what they heard. And so you've got Matthew, you've got Mark, you've got Luke, and you've got John. And so Matthew records this scene, the same scene. However, Matthew was not there. Matthew was not running to the tomb. Matthew, odds are, stayed with the disciples. So, so Matthew did not witness what takes place here. So what you're going to read here in Matthew 28 isn't something that he physically saw. Odds are, this news was shared to him. He, he was getting somebody else's story. Probably wasn't Peter or John's. He was probably listening to Mary. In fact, in the other gospels actually record that there were other women with them. Because how many of us know that women never go anywhere alone? They're always together, especially the bathroom. I don't know what it is, but let's go together. And, they, and you know why? I know why. Because they talk. And and because I was in a bathroom one time, and a woman showed up in the stall next to me, and another woman showed up next to me, and I'm like, these women are in the wrong bathroom. And, and they were talking the entire time, and I realized that I was in the woman's bathroom. So, so true story. So, um, so there was multiple women, and they report this maybe to Matthew. And so Matthew records this. And verse 11 of Matthew 28, read with me if I can get there. Matthew 28, verse 11. It says, while the women were on their way, where where were they? They were on their way to the disciples because of what they just experienced. You know, an angel showed up, Jesus showed up. And when, when they were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and they reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Now, John didn't record anything about guards. Well, they were guards at the tombstone because they didn't want anybody going in there and taking this body and, and then saying something that he, he rose again because that's what Jesus predicted. So there were guards guarding the tomb. But what happens in verse two, if you read in chapter 28, verse two, there's a violent earthquake and everything begins to, to shake. In fact, an angel appears and the guards that were there were so shook that it says they fell to the floor like dead men. And so eventually they, they woke up and they had to report to somebody what happened. Because the body's now gone. The tomb is rolled away. And so they run back. Again, there's a lot of running going on right now. They run back to the chief priest and they tell the chief priest what takes place. And in verse 12, it says, when the chief priest had met with the elders, they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say this. His disciples came during the night and they stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor he will be pleased but if there's another report that gets to the governor he will not be pleased essentially what he's saying so you go back to this locked room the disciples have no idea what happened to Jesus all all they're hearing is Mary said I saw him he spoke to me they do know that their savior was crucified they know that he was buried but what was on the forefront of their minds wasn't belief but it was fear It was fear because if this lie began to spread, that the disciples were the ones who went in and took Jesus out, then who do you think is gonna be the one to blame? The disciples. So why are they here locked in this room? Because they're fearful. They're locked behind these doors because they're fearful. Mary shows up and says, says, I have seen the Lord. She says this in verse 18 of John 20. She says, I've seen the Lord. He spoke to me and I'm, I'm telling you these things and still nothing happens. If you read it in John, from the time that she speaks about seeing God to the time that they're now locked in this room, nothing takes place. How would you respond if somebody said, I've seen that which was dead? You'd probably say, really? Let me go see. But here the disciples are, sitting in this locked room, even after Mary has said, not only have I seen the Messiah, but but he spoke to me. Why would you not? believe mary they're probably saying mary that's that's a little far-fetched you know maybe his body was taken because peter and john said so but why didn't they believe her it wasn't because women were often looked down upon which was true but that's not why they didn't believe her remember they were not just in disbelief but they were in fear because of what they were probably awaiting to hear you've got these disciples in a locked room they're fearful of the jewish leaders but now mary is saying the messiah is alive What were they expecting to be done to them? What were they assuming was going to be said? Probably Mary stepping in and saying, hey, there's this lie being told that you captured him, so you need to go lock yourself in a door, and you need to hide because they're coming after you, and you're next. That's what they were assuming. But Mary presents truth, but they can't hear the truth because they're paralyzed by fear. And do you know That if you're paralyzed by fear, truth, one, doesn't really matter what's said. But two, it's not truthful anymore. Because you're you're paralyzed by fear. You're paralyzed by anxiety. That doesn't matter what's presented. Fear will convince you that it doesn't matter. And fear will convince you that it's not true. In fact, in in Proverbs chapter uh, 12, verse 25, it says, The anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. You know, scientists experiment on cats to determine what fear might just produce in their bodies. I don't know why they don't do this on dogs, but the term isn't scaredy dog, it's scaredy cat. So they, they produce this, they do this test on cats, and, and what they do is they, they feed the cat food, and they, they monitor its muscle patterns and movements, and, and, and they monitor the, the, the digestive system and how it's operating. And they'll do that, they'll monitor that, and then they'll, they'll open the door and let a dog in. And, and just like that, everything, everything changes. Their muscle waves become pulsating ripples. Everything about the digestive process becomes out of shambles. It, it becomes out of order, which probably makes sense because when we're scared and frightened, what usually hap- we usually what? <laughs> you know, sometimes, I don't know, if, you been there? Am I the only one that I've been scared? And I'm like just trying to be trying to be modest up here so there's this intense fear I know that's funny I know because I'm usually not there's this intense fear that will lead to even a blindness that's what scientists will say the the effects are devastating this is why as believers one of the greatest enemies of faith is fear if the enemy can get you to be fearful not only will you no longer believe truth But truth will not even matter anymore. It paralyzes the soul. It will keep you from doing the things that God has called you to do. If you're fearful, you become reckless. Right? Is this this how fearful the disciples were? Possibly. Because let me paint another picture for you. I told you they're fearful. They're locked in a room because of what the the, the disciples heard and the chief priests, you know, devising a plan. That eventually they're going to be the ones that they're going to come after but let me paint this other picture for you. Do you remember the last moments the disciples had with Jesus? Do you remember what Peter did in his last moments while Jesus was alive before he was crucified? He denied him how many times? Three times. Were all the disciples there at the crucifixion? No, they didn't want to be there. They did not want to be seen. And so if they're thinking that not only is my death certain soon, crucifixion could be next for us, which in, in John 20, the next chapter, Jesus actually tells Peter that that's how you're gonna die, just like I did. Great, thank you. But it wasn't just that. It was this idea that if the Messiah is actually alive and he shows up to them, what would he say? You ever thought if you were then and your Messiah has died, certainly you're sad, but you know what you did before he died? You, you denied him? You didn't want to partake in his suffering. You didn't want to be visible. You didn't want to be present. Some were there, that's sure, but not all of them were. Thomas didn't even hear. And if he showed up, what would Jesus say? You know, you've been caught as a kid, and mom says, just wait for your dad to show up to the house. And I would be sitting in that room, fearful. I, my pants. And, And if I heard that door open, and my dad walking in, and I, he always wore those like church, I say church shoes, but what are they call dress shoes? And a foreign thing to me, dress shoes. And, and he, he, you can hear, his, you hear him walking down the hallway. Some of you know, those are some of the most fearful moments of your life. What is dad going to say? And Jesus, if he's truly alive, he's going to show himself. He is going to appear to the disciples for the very first time, what would he say? No wonder why there was silence when Mary said, I've seen him, and now they're locked in this room. They should have believed Mary. Can I uh, talk about Mary for a second? Who is Mary Magdalene? If you believe in the uh, Da Vinci Code, then you assume that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife. But that is, uh, that's is that—that's true that they did that. But that's not true in the Bible, obviously. But But Mary is often associated with the woman who washing Jesus' feet, this Mary Magdalene is often associated with the Mary that was about to be stoned for the act of adultery and Jesus steps in and he saves her. This Mary is often associated with um, being Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister. But it's not too clear if that is the Mary, but that's what we often would say. But what we do know is that this Mary Magdalene is the one who was possessed by demons and Jesus showed up and casted out seven demons. And immediately there's a radical transformation in Mary's life and she submits to a lifestyle of following Christ, just like that. We celebrate radical transformations like that. Mary is one of those. She was radically transformed and all of a sudden she becomes a follower of Jesus and she was present at his trial, she was present at his crucifixion and she is now the first to experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say, go Mary, go Mary. She has this unwavering loyalty, To the man that forgave her of her past, to the man that promised her a future, to the man that gave her purpose. Here she is, she's lingering in the garden and she's looking and she's searching and she just wants to be at the place where she knew Jesus last was. She's there. Her, her, her Messiah, the person that she had loved, the person that she had submitted to, the person that she gave up everything to follow is gone. And here she is in the garden and she's looking, she just wants to be close. Which presents a question. Where do you turn to when all hope is lost? Where do you turn to? Put yourself in Mary's sandals. Where do you turn to? Man, I, I've got nothing. I've lost who I loved and I have nothing. Where where, where do you search? Because I think we can learn a thing or two from Mary here. Because Mary goes right back to the place where she last experienced him. Where she last saw, even though he was dead, she goes right back to the place. She was going to, she had purpose. She was going to anoint him with oil. But she wanted to be near his body. Where were the disciples? In a locked room. And Mary just wanted to be near the person that changed her life. Where do you go? Where do you turn to? Some of us, we got to go back to church because that's where we've last experienced him. Some of us, we got to go back to this book because this is what's last changed us. We had an experience with this. We got to go back to this. We got to go back to the mentors. We got to go back to to the worship songs. We got to go back to the prayer closet. Stop running to where he is not and run to where he is. Where do you turn to? Mary's at the place where she saw his body last being carried into the tomb of Joseph, which, by the way, Joseph was another disciple who offers his tomb to to the Messiah. And what does she encounter when she goes back to the place where she last experienced him? Who does she experience? Who does she encounter? Jesus himself. I think we do a great job of running opposite ways. I think we do a great job of turning into things that don't matter, turn into things that have no significance and will not help us. Proverbs 8:17 says I love those who love me. God says and those who seek me find me. Let me share that again. This is Proverbs 8:17. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Perhaps you have not found God because you have not been seeking God. Perhaps you have not found peace because you have not been seeking the right things. You've been going to places you shouldn't be going to. You've been turning to people you shouldn't be turning to. Some of you are going back to the same abusive relationship because the only thing that you want is stability and you think that is the only way that you're gonna get it. What are you doing? Why are you turning back to the same mess? You might as well be a dog returning to its own vomit. Where are you going? Why aren't you here in church? Why aren't you opening up your Bible? Why aren't you talking to a pastor? Instead, we're talking to some AI thing on the Internet, expecting that that's going to give us some spiritual answers because AI is concerned about your soul. No, it's not. Only Jesus is concerned about your soul. Why are not you turn into him? Go where God is. If you are searching for God, go to God. And if you know people that are searching elsewhere, drag them by the ear like my grandpa used to do. <laughs> Drag me by the—he was doing it in discipline actions, but you could do that in love. You know, just bring him back to church. Come on, come on, come back to the Bible. Come on, you need to tell some people in your neighborhood today. Come on, come back to church with me. You need to text some people today. Come on, come back to the Bible with me. Come back to small group. Where are you at? Where are you at? You know, odds are when people are not here, they're not present. It's been a while. They're searching in other places. We're all searching for something, but where where are you searching? Mary goes right back to the place where she last saw his body so why didn't they believe mary they should have believed mary is what i'm saying the disciples are locked in a room they they they, they have heard what mary had to say mary said I, I seen him and he spoke to me and yet they did not believe now if you're reading in john chapter 20 you would you would ask the question well jacob it doesn't say that they did not believe all it says is that mary said i seen the lord and then on that evening, the first day of the week, the disciples were together, the doors were locked. So, so, so what are you saying? Well, We've got to go to another, another gospel. Because remember, these are four different perspectives. It doesn't say that in John. In fact, in the book of John and the book of Matthew, it does not say that the disciples did not believe Mary. But you got to go to the book of Mark, and you got to go to the book of Luke, and I'll explain why. But in Mark 16, verse 11, it says, When they heard that Jesus was alive, and that they had seen, that she had seen him, what does it say? They did not believe it. Luke chapter 24, this is now the gospel of Luke. Luke's perspective, 24 verse 11. When they, the disciples, did not believe the woman. And here we have an answer. Because their words seem to them like nonsense. I I love the Bible because the Bible will shape you, it'll change you, but it'll often make you laugh. And and, and here's why. You've got Matthew and you've got John. They are two of Jesus' what? Disciples, the 12 apostles. They experienced these things. They saw these things. And then you have Mark and Luke, who were not there with Jesus as apostles at the time. Luke's, you know, a a, a doctor writing to somebody hearing these stories from eyewitnesses. And Mark, perhaps there is a connection that maybe Mark got to witness and experience Jesus. But Mark is also writing this from what he hears and, and what people have told him. And it's interesting that Mark and Luke actually include this part about the disciples not believing But Matthew and John do not. Where are all my married people at? Come on, where are my married people at? Where are all my happily married people at? Come on. (laughs) Same hand should be raised. Um, You know when your spouse realizes, you know, let's say you're sharing a story. In my case with my wife, you know, I'll be sharing a story. Maybe you're sharing a story. And the story is partially true, but you kind of leave out the things that make you look bad you leave out the moments that you didn't believe. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, we figured this out together. And, um, you know, spouses are so good. You know, the scripture's like, be fruitful, multiply, and then call out your husband uh, and, and, and humble them. That, that's not what it says, but it should say that. Uh, so my, you know, my wife and maybe your spouse, they're really good at just calling you out and saying, I figured that out first. Anybody married to somebody like that? You don't know, got to raise your hand. But I figured that out first. And, and my spirit wants to say, you're right, babe. But my flesh, my flesh wants to say, you know what you also figured out? Sin first in the garden. <laughs> Man, you can shout me down and give me an amen later when your wives are not around. That's what you also figured out. All right? You figured this out first. You're right. Um, so... This is so funny to me because Mark and Luke are like calling the disciples out, like actually God's closest people, Jesus' closest friends, they did not even believe. And they did not include that in there. Obviously, the the Bible is God breathed, it's Holy Spirit written. We're just getting different perspectives. I'm just saying maybe that's why the own disciples who didn't believe, they weren't going to include that. Yet Mark and Luke include this portion of the disciples not believing, and here they are hiding in this locked room while the women are out, not afraid to show their emotions, weeping, going to the place where Jesus was, believing that they seen him because they seen him, and the chief priests are here devising a plan to turn the tables now against the disciples. It was them that captured this body. He has not really risen, but they stole him. And then in the middle of all this, Jesus shows up. He just peers. Didn't need a key. Didn't need a, a keypad. Didn't need a key Bobby. He just showed up. There he is. And I wonder how long he was standing there. That be funny. He just, you know, like he's just sit, sitting there chilling and all the disciples are scared. They're fearful. They're like, what's going to happen to us? And they're like, are you not concerned about what happened to me? And so Jesus shows up. And what does He say? The doors are locked. this is verse 19. The doors are locked. For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus shows up, He stands among them, and he says, "Peace, be with you." Wow." You're going to see here a shift from, from fear to courage now with the disciples. You're going to see something happens now in their minds because the one that they had loved is now returned. But it's, it's what he says. He says, peace be. He comes to them. The doors were locked. He appears through the wall, proving once again that he is the only thing, and by him can the supernatural take place. He appears, and the first words out of his mouth is shalom, Peace. Remember, the disciples weren't just afraid of their death, but they were, they were possibly afraid of what Jesus would say if he showed up and he steps into this room and he says, what were you thinking? Where were you at when I was being crucified? Peter, why did you deny me not once, not twice, but three times? And where is Thomas? Where is Thomas? But that's not what he, that's not what he says. He didn't, he didn't accuse them. He doesn't point the finger at them. He gets on, his, on the ground maybe and he says, he says, I bring you peace. I bring you peace. I mean, isn't this the heart of the Father? The heart of the Father is restoration, by the way, church. Have you elevated or, or allowed the, the, uh, the um, fear of God and to, to triumph the mercy of God? Have you forgotten about the mercies that he gives? Have you forgotten about the mercies that he brings? He says, peace with you. Reminds me when my children are doing something that they shouldn't be doing and there are times where I am more Christ-like and and they come into the room, they know they're in trouble and I'm just just here saying, hey, I I love you. I love you. Come here, let me give you a hug. I'm here, I'm not here to harm you. Mommy's gonna spank you, but I'm not here to harm you, you know? (laughs) She's the bad one. Uh, That's not true. Uh, But that's, I've experienced that. Have you experienced that? You know what you should have gotten and yet your dad or your mom or the, police, I'm always praying for the police officer to come up to me and say, hey, this one's on me, you know, but that, that's, that, I've experienced that, and my dad has walked in, remember, I've been fearful in that room, my dad's walked in, and I, I hear his high heels, and, or his uh, church shoes, and, and then he wa- opens the door, and he says, hey, I love you, I love you, and, but I have to beat you, you know, I, I love you, but I gotta, but no, no, I'm just kidding, uh, but that's the heart of God, he's there, and he's opening his hands, and he says, peace, somebody say, peace, peace, Peace be to you. In Psalm 103, verse two to four, David writes, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and he heals all of my diseases. I don't know where you're at today, but this this verse might be speaking to you. Some of you need to receive this. He heals all of your diseases. He forgives you of all of your sins. In verse four, it says, "He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies." I know that the disciples also hear what David said in Psalm nineteen or Psalm sixteen, where he said, "The Most High uttered His voice and hailstones and coal came from it." That's Psalm eighteen. So so they're, they're assuming that that's going to be the voice of Jesus, but then, then they get the voice that David experiences, where he says, "He forgives me of my sins, He heals me from my diseases. He crowns me with love and with tender mercies." Jesus said, "Peace to your restless soul. Peace to your unbelief. Peace to your fear. Do you know what fear attacks first? Do you know what anxiety attacks first? your mind, and your heart. Before it makes us immobile and possibly even blind, it attacks your mind and your heart. You go into panic mode. That's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your what? Your heart and your mind. Some of you do not have any peace in your life because you have forgotten who brings you that peace your heart is anxious your mind is everywhere you can't even think you can't even speak you can't even act you forget how to be a parent you forget how to be father. i've been there you just want to sleep you just want to some of you just want to die because your heart is telling you one thing your mind is telling you one thing but you have not allowed the peace of god to tell you the truth because you've been paralyzed by fear Have you been paralyzed by fear to the point where you can't even do what God has called you to do or believe what he said? Jesus shows up in the middle of fear and he says, peace be with you. Peter, James, Andrew, where's Judas? I know where Judas is. You know, Thomas Thomas isn't here either. I give you peace. And after he said this, he showed him his hands and he showed him his side. And the disciples were, what's the scripture say? They were overjoyed. God is today wanting to move some of you from fear to joy. You have been operating out of fear for too long. And today God is saying, I need you to operate from peace. Because when you have the peace of God, when the peace of God is in you, the joy of Christ comes out of you. You know, you've experienced this because all of a sudden you start singing a little bit differently. You start walking a little bit differently. You start acting a little bit differently. You start giving a little bit differently. You're like, Lord, don't just have 10%, have more. Because you're operating from a place that isn't fear, that isn't doubt, that isn't worry. You're not operating from, the, from a place that says, well, look at the market, look at the finances, look at the banks. You're operating from a place of peace a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards your hearts and a peace that guards your minds. You see, when the peace of Christ fills me, the joy of Christ comes out of me. I was anxious before, but I'm no longer anxious. I was depressed before, but now I can finally breathe. I was paralyzed by fear, but then the peace of God, which entered into me, all of a sudden, I'm not just walking, I'm not just talking, but I'm dancing, I'm shouting. Anybody thankful for the peace of God that you have in you? Therefore, the joy of Christ comes out of you. I live different. I talk different. I drive different. I treat people differently, especially at Publix, you know, especially at Walmart, definitely at Walmart. I I just treat people differently. I have more patience. Hopefully if you work at Walmart, I'm not offending you. I'm just saying I've had some bad encounters at Walmart, but the peace of God changes everything about you. And Jesus shows up and he says, here's what I have for you. Peace. Peace. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, the scripture actually records that he says peace twice. In verse 19, he says, peace be with you. And then in verse 21 again, he says, peace be with you. It, to me, it's a reminder that every single day of your lives, it's not just a one-time thing that the peace of God and you, know, you, you need and you ask for, but it's an everyday thing. Everyday thing, God, I need, I need you. Every moment of my life, every day that I live, every breath that I breathe, God, I need to be operating from a place of peace. If I'm here in this earth and you're doing or you're calling me to do something then I have got to be operating from a place of peace. How can you operate for Christ when you don't have the peace of Christ? Because you operate differently. Like I just said, you, you act differently when you're operated by fear. But you operate by peace. All of a sudden, you experience joy. All of a sudden, you ex, you, you don't, you're not, you're not uh, uh, swayed by things that are taking place around you. Because... The peace of God is in you. You can't explain it. It doesn't really make any sense. So, so, Jacob, what are you talking about this operating thing? You know, I'm, I'm operating, but what is Jesus saying here? He says, peace, I, I give you, peace be with you. But as the Father has sent me, he goes, he goes to this part. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So not only does the peace of God remove you from sorrow to joy, but it also empowers you as service. It empower- Jesus said, I, ha- I have an assignment for you. And you can't do it without the peace. You're gonna do it with joy, but the only way you can do it with joy is if you have peace. He says, I have an assignment for you and it wasn't wasn't meant to be here sitting in this room, you know, uh, fearful, wasn't here to be sitting in this room, circling up, worrying. So here is my peace and just as the Father has sent me, I am going to send you. How can you be sent out by him to do something for him if you don't have the peace from him? It's gotta be in here. Write this down, a a restless spirit is an ineffective spirit. A restless spirit is an ineffective spirit. God told Cain in Genesis chapter four, after he murdered his brother, he said, you will be restless, wandering on this earth for the rest of your life. And in Psalm chapter six, verse six, you know a lot of David's story. David says, I'm worn out from my groaning. I'm, I'm worn out all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. How can you be effective for God if you are restless in your soul? If you're so consumed with what's happening around you, if you're so consumed with what's taking place in the news, if you're so consumed with all that you're seeing on stories being shared, that you would get to a point to say, God, it's over, I'm done. Some of you have convinced you not to have kids because they've told you that you should not raise kids in a world today. You've been living by fear. Some of you have not given at all to anybody or to even the church. You've been selfish with what you have because people have told you that you can't trust anybody and you've been living by fear. How are you, how are you operating? From a place of fear? From a place of doubt? Or from a place of peace? Now, I get it because... At times, I'm restless. At times, I'm anxious. At times, I'm fearful. And it makes me do things that I don't want to do and say things I don't want to say. But again, like Mary, I go back to the place that brings me that satisfaction and that is God and his word. I go back to that. Somebody say, go back. I go back to that moment. I go back to those songs that I have sung. I go back to those scriptures that I've memorized. I go back to the moments where I've experienced God in fresh ways, in new ways. I go back to those moments. Can I tell you, um, a while ago, when I was trying to sell my truck, and I'm like, I'm selling my truck, I'm gonna make some money, and these places weren't offering me the money that I wanted, and so I was like, I'm gonna private sell my truck and make a lot of money, and a week later, my transmission blows and Joe, Joe knows, and Venice, you know me. I was, I was at your shop. I'm like, can you, can you help me? And they're like, it's going to be a lot of money. And, and I, I remember walking out of, that, out, of, out of Joe's shop, and he's like, yeah, I mean, Joe, I know Joe loves me, but he's like, this is going to be expensive. we got to replace the whole transmission and, and everything else. And now I thought I was making some money. Now I'm going to have to owe money. I'm now going to be in the hole. I should have sold it. Yeah, should have, you should have told me that then. I should, have, I should have sold it then. Because now I sold it after I put all that money in and I didn't make what I wanted. So here I am in this moment where I'm being told that you're going to have to pay a lot of money. And I walk out. I kid you not. I walk out to the sidewalk and I turn on a song and I start singing and I start shouting. I say, God, I'm not worried. God, I'm not scared because I have a peace that flows like a river down deep in my soul. And I raised my hands on the sidewalk. People thought I was crazy, but I was crazy for God and I wasn't fearful and that God, you know, was gonna make this work out. But I was, I, was, I was in that place and I was in that moment and, and maybe you've been there, maybe it wasn't a truck, maybe it was a child, maybe it was a, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was um, a whole bunch more money than that and you're sitting there and everything around you is telling you to point the finger at God. Why would God do that? Kind of sounds that like you got some friends like Job had and you got people in your life that are saying, don't, don't go to church anymore. Why are you serving that God? Look what he did to you. But you couldn't explain it. Here you are with your arms raised saying, I have a peace that makes no sense. I have a peace that makes no sense. And I rejoice, and I rejoice. You ever been there before? Isn't that amazing? And you may be thinking, oh, well, Jacob, that's because you're a pastor and you know, you know some of the scripture and you, you pray and preach, and that's because maybe I'm super spiritual. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the fact that maybe I read this on a daily basis, maybe I show up to church every day because I have to because I work here. Maybe it's uh, because maybe I've learned more scriptures. Maybe, maybe you have, have a greater church attendance and therefore all of a sudden like, you like, you, you stepped into that church attendance record and you're like, man, I have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It is not because of anything that you have done. It is only Jesus and what rests in your soul. That's it, that's it. And so if you're thinking of how I can obtain the peace of God, like the disciples obtained the, the, the peace of God, it, it wasn't because of my ability. It wasn't because of my spirituality. It wasn't because I knew the scriptures. No, it was none of that. The disciples, the disciples experienced the miracles of Jesus like we have not experienced. And yet they're fearful. So if, if the ones closest to him were fearful, of course we can be fearful. But there's nothing that we could do that would be greater than them. I mean, look what they got to do. And here we are, not because of what I've done, not because of how much I know, and not because of how much you've showed up to church or how long you've been in the faith. It's because of what Jesus did and breathed into me, the peace of God. Can I tell you though, what he also breathed and I'll close and, and pray. And to be honest, I, I wanted to sit on these two verses verses 21 and 22. And this is actually what I wanted to preach on. And I told my dad Monday, I said, Dad, I'm gonna preach on the Holy Spirit. Because this is what he says in verse 21. He says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you, right? So the peace, at least the joy will lead to service. If you wanna be in service, if you wanna serve God well, you gotta do it joyfully. You can't do it joyfully unless you have the peace of God that transcends all understanding within you. Peace, joy, service. But he knew that that was not enough. He knew there was something else he needed and so what did he do he said in verse 22 and with that he breathed on them and he said receive the holy spirit that word breathe is the same word that's used when god breathed into man in genesis chapter 2. it's the same word that god used when he breathed into the dry bones that came to life that same word jesus is now saying i this into your spirit right now you have the you have the spirit of god and so I'm like, man, Dad, we're going to talk about the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit opposed to the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be good. And then he, gives, he goes on to say that if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So there's this authority now that he gives us. And all this is happening here in this moment before they go on to do great things for God. But we're going to save that for another time because I couldn't get past like my first point. And so that's, so that's we'll get another time, I promise you. But what I can tell you today, if you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you. He has breathed his Holy Spirit within you. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he hasn't just sent you to to, uh, sit around and not do anything, he sent you to do great things. He sent you to do mighty things. If you think you are insignificant today, you are not insignificant. You may think that you are a nobody, but to God, you are somebody. And because you have the peace of God and the joy that's coming out of you, You have the Holy Spirit within you. You now can do, somebody say, I can do greater things for Him. And so if you're here today, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He has sent you, to to quote David Gusack, he said, He's sending you to teach. He's sending you to live among sinners. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, He's sending you to live among sinners, He's sending you to suffer. Wow, you're setting this up really great, Jacob, and I'm bought in now. He sent you to suffer for truth, to suffer for righteousness, and he sent you to rescue those who have not yet been rescued. The same spirit that empowered Jesus, that he empowered the disciples, he has empowered you with today to do great things for him. But you can't do it if you're operating in fear. You need to be operating from a place of peace. Who wants to operate today from a place of peace? Come on, who wants joy to be the thing that comes out of them? Come on, if if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet today and you're saying, Jacob, man, I just want to operate from a place of peace. Maybe you're standing on behalf of your family today and you're saying, I want to operate from a place of peace. I want to operate from that place. I want joy to come out of me. I want to rejoice. I want to rejoice for who you are. And what you've done. I don't want this life to be burdensome. I don't want this life to, 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 uh, to, 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 to wear me down. God, I want this to be a life that is giving, but I need you, Father. I need that peace in my life. I can do this because of that. I can do that. I can do what you call me to do because what you, what you put in me. And so if you can, would you just kind of open up your hands like this all across this room? If you're watching online, would you just open up your hands and say, God, would you give me that peace? Remind me of that peace. Remind me of that. Man, I got a joy down in my heart. I got a peace that surpasses all understanding. I can't explain it, but I got a joy. Come on, God, I got a a joy. Help me to shift my perspective. Help me to look to not what I can see, but what I can't see. And that is what is in within me, and that is the peace of God. So I've got a joy. I, wanna, I want the team to sing this over you today. I've got a joy down in my heart. I've got a love down in my heart. Come on. Rebecca, would you lead it? Come on, receive this this morning.
1: It's only by Christ that I
0: can do these things. Yes. Yes.
1: I've got a joy down in my heart
0: Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Heartbeats, come on. It makes no sense to us, God. Therefore, I can be joyful in the middle of my circumstance. Here's what I want to do. I think we got too many of us in this room that are operating from a place of fear. And we have been living with so much anxiety today that God wants to set you free in this room right now. I know we have an after party, and I know we, we, but I feel like God wants to do some ministry in this moment right here. And so I want you to be bold. I wanna ask our prayer partners to come up to the front. If you're one of our prayer partners and we've called on you, would you, would you make your way? I know we got things to do, probably some tables to set up. and But... Um, I wanna pray for some people who need some deliverance from fear right now. You have been operating from a place. That, you don't have to wait for me. I want you to just come to the front and we got some people that are gonna pray for you. We'll lay hands on you and we'll pray for you. If you wanna be delivered from fear, if you wanna be delivered from anxiety, come on, if you need prayer over a situation, would you come? The team's gonna lead us. Would you come? Would you say, Lord, I just, I need some pastor card. You come on up here too as well. If, if you need prayer, you need prayer, but would you, would you help pray for some people if you can? But would you come? Would you come to the front? If you need some prayer, if you need to come to the altar, maybe somebody's not ready to pray for you because, because they're praying for somebody else. Just come to the altar. Kneel at the altar. But if you want to be set free from fear, if you want to be set free from anxiety, let's go. Now's the time. Now's the time. We rejoice in the fact that you're good and that you are God. No longer are we going to be bound to fear. Come on, no longer are we going to be bound to anxiety. No longer are we going to be enslaved to doubt. Because there's a peace that that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds. In fact, if you're here in this room, would you just stretch out your hands and pray for the people who are up here? Come on, would you pray for them? This is some ministry time right now. You may be sitting here thinking, well, this ain't for me. Man, if you're not there, you need to pray for some people. A peace that surpasses all understanding.
1: Come
0: on. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at dlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.